thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damien Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. Our special guest today has an incredible career and a story. I'm just so excited that he's here on. Um, after being rejected by 25 publishers, his first book, The 4-Hour Workweek, Escape 9 to 5, Live Every- Anywhere and Join the New Rich, was finally published and sold over 1.3 million copies and was on the New York Times bestseller for nearly four years. I read that book first time. It was absolutely amazing. But not to be just a one-hit wonder, right? His second book, 4-Hour Body and The 4-Hour Chef, which just came out, I think, a few, few months ago, has absolutely been uh, you know, lighting up the bookstores. And obviously, our special guest is Tim Ferriss. Welcome, Tim Ferriss, to the Wellness Guy Show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Thanks, thanks, thanks for making the time. Well, Tim, like, what makes you special is your ideas on uh, lifestyle design. I love that. I, it's the thing that I call hacking life, right? Basically, what Tim spends his whole life researching is interviewing experts on finding the best way to keep life simple and uh, enjoying what he calls mini retirements, which I love the concept of instead of working a typical nine to five job. Um, I love your idea on the MED, the minimum effective dose on almost everything in life. Um, since we're on the Wallace Guy show, I love some of your concept on, you know, utilizing your MED stuff to on living a healthy life and, and, you know, more importantly, living a fulfilling life. I mean, you are, you, you have, I think you got a couple of Guinness World Records, I believe. Yeah, I have a, well, I have one record in Argentine tango for the most spins in one minute that was done with a, with a dance partner, uh, live <laughs> on television and then, uh, have a couple of other medals and, and titles, but that's the only Guinness record that I have. Oh, fantastic! Well, Tim, you you wrote the um, the latest books that you wrote was Four Hour Body and Four Hour Chef. I must say, like that, those books were massive and they were huge. They were super thick. It's almost like it's um, a guide of hacking through the best ways to get fit and healthy, and just the little things in life um, that uh, you wouldn't even think of, like you know how to how to cut up a cow or something like that. You know, it's it's absolutely amazing the, the stuff that you put in there. But you just told us a story just before we got on this call about um, your the book and how it's transformed people's lives. Uh, would you like to tell us a story about the man who's just lost a massive amount of weight um, using the concept that you had in your book? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the email I just got, this was just a few minutes before our call, was from a gentleman named Ricardo uh, Arias who has lost more than 195 pounds now. Uh, we've never met. Uh, I've never coached him or anything like that. It was just from uh, reading a blog post and then uh, receiving my book, the, uh, the four-hour body that is in this particular case. So he will have lost 200 pounds in the next few weeks, which is just incredible. incredible. And uh, he is a group, a pretty of a, a member of a pretty large group of people who've lost more than 100 pounds. And and I've been I've received lots of photographs to that effect. So it's been it's been extremely gratifying uh, to see some of those physical changes in readers, particularly because number one, they did it themselves; they didn't need to be held by the hand by me uh, or to meet a specialist every day. For instance, they they did it themselves with a simple methodology. And secondly, is the the effects can be really far reaching, even if they start with what people might consider. Uh, aesthetics or vanity, so they might they might start it to fit 
two old machines they had or to lose the last 20 pounds or, or the first 100 pounds for that matter to look better, let's say. But oftentimes the same people are sending me blood tests, before and after blood tests, showing that they're able to reduce, let's just say, their insulin dosages as type 1 diabetic by 50-75%. And I'm not a doctor, but I think one of the uh, one of the tools in my toolkit is behavioral change and helping people to do things that seem overwhelming, losing 200 pounds by starting with something very small like changing breakfast, not even changing all of their meals or not necessarily getting them to exercise for the first, let's say, 8 to 12 weeks if it's someone who weighs 400 pounds, but having them focus on the positive feedback of, of rapid initial weight loss from focusing on something as simple as breakfast or timing of protein. So, Tim, tell us about how this all came about. I mean, I understand from reading some stuff that, that you'd actually been tracking, like, what sort of exercise you did, what sort of foods you, you ate, even, um, like, your blood chemistry from even years before even your first book, The, the 4-Hour Workweek. Is, is that true? And, and how did that come about? What, what stimulated you to want to do that? Oh, it's absolutely true. Uh, I have, um, in, in fact, I'm doing some testing uh, today and tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm going to be sequencing my microbiome, so my my gut bacteria, uh, as well as as oral bacteria. I'll be looking at the basically the spectrum of of bacteria that I have and and trying to act on that information, which hasn't really been done before. I'm partnering with some scientists here associated with UC Berkeley, uh, but the the testing, whether it was blood testing or exercise tracking, started very early on because I was a competitive. Uh, I was competitive Olympic style and collegiate wrestler, so I was uh, I was an All American in wrestling uh, in uh, in high school, and continued to compete and really to function at my highest and to win in competition. I I I, I identified uh, the tools that had the biggest impacts, and also with with a short amount of time available. Let's just say as a full time student who would also then have sports training, the type of weight training, let's say, or additional training on top of that that I could tolerate or benefit from had to be very surgically precise. And that's that's where the tracking came into play. So the tracking, I mean, I'm loving the idea of tracking your bacteria. I think that's fantastic. I'm right into bugs and all that sort of stuff. I think that's great. Um, but this, this whole tracking thing, um, fascinates me because I've worked with people over the last 15, 16 years who are obese um, or who have got diabetes or heart disease and I do find the same thing too, Tim, that if you change one small thing, it can have a massive impact. How did you work out what are the key things uh, in that regard? So, you know, you've got somebody who comes in and I'm talking kilos because most people or a lot of people listening to us are talking kilos. I'm, I, the fattest person I ever saw was 279 kilograms. Wow. Um, which is what's over 550 pounds, and um, and for her, the the simple thing for her was basically just to to change portion size. She could continue to eat whatever she wanted, really, but just changing portion size worked for her enormously. Do you find it's different for everybody, or is it is it just across the board? There's a number of key golden take home points that uh, that tend to work. I think it, it does. It depends on the behavioral change, uh, or, or it depends on the variable that we're trying to affect. In the case of obesity, I do think there are a handful of things that tend to work very reliably, at least among the people I've tested. And when when you ask uh, how I arrived at the variables, it, it comes down to 
typically forming a hypothesis and then testing it with a small set, a subset of people in different locations or in different demographics, uh, which is which is how I u- oftentimes utilize, let's say, my Twitter, Facebook followers or my blog readers. And I have, in this particular case, you know, 500,000 people, let's just more than 500,000 people on Facebook and Twitter, and then I have 1.2 million people per month via the blog. And many of them have been trained to be self-trackers or are already interested in quantified self-type tracking. So if I want, let's just say, 100 people to try a new type of dietary intervention or I want to find people who are in, let's just say, a handful of states in middle America who are 40 to 50-year-old women with at least two children who have 20 or more pounds to lose, I can find them in a matter of 24 hours and have them (laughs) putting in practice and experiment that I can then record results from. So it's been fascinating. For instance, over the last two months, uh, working with a startup called Lift, L-I-F-T, which is an app uh, that was uh, incubated by the founders of Twitter. And I was the first outside investor into this company. And it is a simple iPhone-based app for behavioral change. And we were able to identify six habits that we wanted to track as they impacted slow-carb diet six, uh, weight loss. So we tracked uh, almost, actually no, more than 1,300 people over four weeks. And we, were able, we were able to identify which particular habits correlated to the fastest rate of fat loss. And that's really the tip of the iceberg. That's just a starting point. However, I can say, all right, it appears that eating at least two eggs first thing in the morning has an incredibly strong correlation to the fastest rate of fat loss. Mm. I can also say that, uh, oddly enough, short, cold showers have the highest correlation to the, the highest rate of fat loss. Uh, and then it's a matter of good experimental design and continued uh, experimentation to determine what is cause and what is effect and what, what is not just coincidence, right? So mm. I, I really take a very... I would like to think a uh, scientific approach where uh, I try not to fool myself because the data is ultimately for me to get better results for my readers and my audience. <clears throat> and it's not, uh, it's not, these aren't studies that I'm selling, right? I'm not using yeah. it for an infomercial. If I just wanted to make more money, I would certainly do something besides write books. <laughs> 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 but it, it allows me to refine things. And then when I meet someone who's, like you said, you know, uh, 200 kilos, 300 kilos, that uh, you start them off with something you know they can win. And it's, uh, you're dealing with people, whether it's, whether it's uh, who have an abuse, uh, how should I say, a self-defeating or self-destructive habit, whether it's eating, smoking, drinking, whatever, you typically are, are encountering people, the more extreme the case, have failed at multiple attempts to change their behavior in the past. So the yeah. positive feedback is extremely important to engineer from the very outset. And the good news is you can engineer it. You just need to look at, at the available data and experiment. Mm-hmm. Tim, that's amazing. I mean, you're so methodical in the way you do things. I mean, I remember reading your book for our body. Like, I mean, people obviously are, are love the stuff. I mean, you hit number one, I think, in New York Times bestseller, like debuted right there on the spot when it first came out. Yeah, first week. yeah it's absolutely amazing. But one of the things that you talk a lot about in the four body is the slow carb diet. 
Um, mm-hmm. Could you, for our listeners, I mean, they've heard us talk with, with interview with a couple of different people, but could you give us your version of the slow car drive and just to explain to our listeners what that is and what that entails um, and, you know, how does that apply into your life? Because it's, it's about time, right? A lot of people don't have time, you know, nowadays, and that's what you're all about is just trying to, you know, really decrease the amount of time and actually make it work. And uh, so just, just expand on that. Just, just, just as a point of clarification, this is slow carb, not low carb, so to speak. So th- there's obviously a play on words or a, you know, insertion of an extra um, letter there to, yes. just for the listeners, just in case they didn't pick it up. So it's slow carb. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. slow carb diet is very, very simple, which is I think why it has, it has been as effective for people as it has. Uh, in the same study that we did, the, the, the fat loss percentage, the success percentage of people attempting to follow slow carb was 82% of the 1,000-plus people we tracked, which is just absurd. I mean, the, mm, that that's unbelievable. Ridiculously high. Yeah. Uh, we, had, we had to go back and like double, triple checks. So we were like, that cannot possibly be right. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> uh, but, the, but the rules are as follows. Number one is <clears throat> slow carb diet is only followed six days a week. And I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, so the first rule for your six days, all the, all the following rules apply to your six days on the slow carb diet. Number one is avoid white foods. That's it. So no bread, no pasta, no rice, uh, no milk, for instance. Uh, avoid foods that are white or that can be white. So also avoid brown rice, etc. Uh, the second, there are a few exceptions, but I try not to complicate things like, yes, you can eat cauliflower, but like, let's not go looking for reasons. Not- <laughs> broccoli for the first two weeks and give me a break so don't eat white stuff is rule number one number two is do not drink calories so you shouldn't you should not drink anything that has a caloric value Uh, what can you drink that means water tea iced tea coffee are all fine assuming you're not adding calories to them and it's extremely easy to get by doing that uh third is uh Eat the same few meals over and over again. Have uh, have slow carb default meals, and people already do this. They overestimate the variation in their own diet. Uh, when people are like, "Oh my god, I could never do that. That'd be so boring," and I'm like, "All right, what do you have for breakfast for the last week, Monday to Friday? What do you eat?" And it's the same. same <laughs> so true. I'm like, it's you just you're just picking a new default meal. So, for instance, moving from. Uh, let's say breakfast cereals with milk and a glass of orange juice, which is as anti-slope carb, that's as fast carb diet as you can get. Moving from, let's just say, uh, tea or coffee or water with uh, whole eggs, lentils, and spinach, let's say, which takes the same amount of time to prepare. I know it sounds crazy. Maybe two minutes more. It's extremely fast. Um, I have a a video on YouTube of the the three-minute slow carb diet breakfast, which, which is that exact breakfast. And, uh, you're going to repeat these over and over again. Uh, the, the meals tend to be a, a combination of a handful of vegetables, a protein, and I'm fine with fatty proteins, uh, and then some type of legume. So lentils or beans or something like that. And this is important because many people fail when they try to go on a low carb diet as opposed to a slow carb diet. They fail because they end up cutting their calories by 70 or 80%, which is not going to be sustainable. So they'll go from, let's say, a potato and a steak to a a filet of salmon and a bed of of spinach, and it doesn't compute. The numbers won't work for you. 
And it's, it's for that reason very important to add in uh, legumes of some type typically. Uh, you don't always have to do this, but uh, I do recommend it. And it also makes traveling quite convenient for people in many different countries because beans are readily available, even in airports oftentimes. Uh, the, <clears throat> the last rule really, uh, actually there's, there's, there's one more uh, thing to avoid and that is fruit. So I do recommend minimizing fruit if your priority is fat loss. Uh, and that is for uh, reasons. Number one, seasonally, most humans in the world have eaten fruit in small quantities and very seasonally. Secondly, most of the most of the fruit that we consume now does not remotely resemble the fruit that was consumed by paleo ancestors or gatherers. I mean, it's been optimized through breeding and, in some cases, genetic modification to have four, five, ten, twenty times the fructose content and uh, fructose which is the sugar in fruit is converted to glycerol phosphate in, and uh, then to, to fat in the liver more effectively than, than any other uh, simple sugar so it's good to avoid uh, I mean your ancestors weren't eating Florida oranges in December and uh, you don't have to <laughs> that's true that's a good point so, so you're talking talk more Sorry, you, Sorry, go, you, go, you, you talk there about the sugars, mate, and the and the fruit and that sort of stuff. And there's going to be a lot of people out there thinking, well, you know, I, I don't have sugar. I have Diet Coke or I have artificial sweeteners in some way, shape, or form. And and I just yeah. want to be clear. I mean, you're not a fan of those either, are you? I'm not a fan of those either, but I will let people get away with it in the beginning just so they can actually get started. Because if I if I try to be too if I try to be too much of a, a a food Nazi in the beginning, people will tend to tend to drop off. So what I what I like to do is allow some degree, if they must, of diet sodas in the beginning, uh, and then strip them out later if 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 they must. And you do see a pretty substantial difference when they when they remove them. Uh, there's plenty of research. Splenda. If you're going to use artificial sweeteners. Avoid Splenda at the very least because it can have a very disruptive effect on uh, on on gut flora and uh, your bacterial balance. But the last rule, which is super important, is take one day off and go nuts. This is the cheat day, and this is a big reason psychologically and also physiologically why the diet succeeds where so many other fail. You you are not giving up your favorite foods for the rest of your life. You're giving them up for six days at a time. So many of the people who follow slow carb diet will actually keep. Uh, a notebook or take a note on their iPhone, for instance, when they, when they, when they really have a craving for something, they just to make, they make a list, a to eat list for cheat day and they just keep track <laughs> they have on, let's say Saturday, which is the day I recommend. And then they go nuts they can have whatever they want. There's no restriction and there's no calorie counting on this at all. So the slow carb diet in review, avoid white foods, don't drink calories, minimize fruit, eat the same few meals over and over again, at least for the first two weeks or so and go crazy once a week. That's it. Those are the rules. Tim, it's incredible. I can actually almost hear everybody jumping onto Amazon right now to buy your book because it just sounds all so good, right? <laughs> so, you know, they're all going, oh, this is amazing. Now, what happens if somebody misses their Saturday? What if they miss their binge day? Um, is that bad? Uh, I, I don't recommend missing the binge day. Uh, this is an area of some debate, as you can imagine, there, there are a lot of people who say, oh, this would never work. You need to have just have a, a cheat meal. A cheat day is too, too much. And I call, I call BS on that because I've seen tens of thousands of people do it now. Uh, and the data just too strong to really refute it, in my opinion. Uh, yep. 
if if you if you have a day where you exercise restraint on a seventh day in addition to the other six, typically you will break. Uh, most people do. Not not all people, but uh, you are. I think it's important to recognize that you are going to cheat no matter what, and that you can minimize the damage and make it work for you and not against you by scheduling it in advance. If if you miss your cheat day for whatever reason, you could certainly have it a day later or a day earlier, but you don't want to end up having 24 hours split between two days. The key is really, ideally, to have your cheat day be from waking up to going to bed and not uh, you don't want a sleep cycle in between uh, 12 hours of binging. 12 hours of binging, sleep, then 12 hours of binging. That will have to do more fat. You're not doing lunch, not doing lunch, dinner, and breakfast. Yeah, so, I would highly discourage that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tim, do you find that changes over time, though? I mean, do you find that as people get further into this program, that their their cheat day tends to become perhaps less cheatish, like that, like their tastes change and their preferences change yep. and their cravings change? Yeah, it totally does. So you'll find that uh, it changes very dramatically. The first the first two or three cheat days, people tend to go really crazy. And I, I still do that every once in a while. If the, the stricter I am with my diet, the the more insane my cheat days tend to be, right? And uh, the importance of cheat day, even if you're not eating hand fistfuls of Snickers bars, is to dramatically spike your caloric intake once per week. This can have a number of interesting effects, one of which is increasing conversion from T4 to T3 thyroid hormone, which is much more metabolically active and, in fact, is used in pill form by professional bodybuilders to accelerate fat loss uh, and in the form of Cytomel, which I do not recommend anyone do. Uh, 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 You can naturally achieve a very similar effect, uh, albeit at a lower level, by having this what people would call, if you want to get fancy, you know, caloric cycling, whereby... On this cheat day, you're spiking your calories. So let's just say you're training for an Ironman, uh, Ironman triathlon or something like this or even a marathon, whatever it might be, and you don't want to eat crap on your cheat day, that's okay. You can you can achieve a lot of the metabolic benefits by, let's just say, consuming sweet potatoes, quinoa, whatever it might be. I try to minimize grains, but once a week isn't going to kill you as long as you're spiking your caloric intake. Do I recommend most people try to have a a healthy cheat day? No, I don't, because you then will break down in the middle of the of the subsequent week. I've seen it hundreds of times. Um, so that's that's pretty much it. But I mean, you can get to the point where you have very clear six pack abs, you have impeccable blood work by still once a week eating like bear claws and pizza. It absolutely does not make a difference in my experience. Fantastic. Uh, that's great insights there, Tim. Um, the book that you had just came out, which is Four Hour Chef. You talk a lot about um, some of the, you know, the domestic part. You talk about the covering the building blocks of cooking. You know, yeah. some of us are, you know, don't, you know, people will say, I don't have time to cook. You know, so then you kind of break it down using the eighty twenty rule to kind of break down some core lessons of cooking. But uh, in the wild section, you talk about like stepping out of the kitchen and trying different things that are kind of wild. I mean. You, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the foods that you recommend uh, to kind of step out of, get out of our comfort zone, and start maybe eating? Uh, yeah, sure. So the wild section is really intended to uh, encourage people to reconnect 
with the world around them and to and also to reverse manual illiteracy, which was a term that a, a friend's father used to describe my generation and certainly younger generations and I suppose our generation if we're, we're, we're probably all around the same age. Uh, meaning, like if you look at my dad or my granddad, they could fix cars, they could fix basic wiring, they could fix basic plumbing, yeah. they could make things. And <laughs> I think <laughs> the simple IKEA about, stuff. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think that, uh, speaking for myself at least, prior to writing <laughs> the Flower Chef, uh, I used my thumbs pretty much for the space bar on my laptop, and uh, very little. <laughs> I mean, I might go to the gym and lift weights, but I wasn't building anything. I wasn't making anything. And the the wild section for me was trying to reclaim that part of being human, making things. And I, I wanted to explore getting outside uh, and uh, took a very close look at foraging, took a very close look at survivalism, took a very close look and experienced things like hunting, which I'd never done before in my life. Uh, and uh, just recently returned from Alaska where I went on a week-long uh, caribou hunt and we lived on the side of a, a a lake six hours north of Fairbanks where we got dropped off by seaplane and then they were gone for a week. I mean literally did not see another human for the entire time and had three gri- grizzly bears come into our camp. Oh, so no. all of that has led me to, to believe that there's a lot of value in pushing people outside of their comfort zone uh, and food is a, is a fantastic way to do that. And it doesn't have to be fear factor. I mean, you, but I do think uh, trying game meats, things like caribou, elk, venison, etc., can be very helpful. Uh, I think that learning how to fish, hunt, or forage, even if you don't uh, use it much or ever, is also a, a really humanizing experience that most people should have. Uh, understanding how to use fire, how to build uh, improvised stoves using, let's say, an olive oil can or a coconut water can or something like that. It's all fun. It's it's a lot of fun. And for people who are like, ah, they think of cooking and they think of some really long-ass recipe with 20 ingredients that takes an hour to demonstrate on television, and it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you can make the most amazing asabuco you've ever had for four to six people in the same time that it would take you to make scrambled eggs. I mean, literally three to five minutes of prep time, and then you just hang out for two and a half hours, and you like blow away all your guests, and that's it. It's uh, you can you can use four or few ingredients. I mean, literally <laughs> next to nothing with right kind of salt, the right kind of pepper, a little bit of lemon, maybe some acid like sherry vinegar, which a, a lot of chefs use in place of balsamic vinegar. And you're done. You can really fool people into thinking you're an amazing chef. Uh, and it takes the same amount of time as like driving to McDonald's and going through the drive-through. Tim, that's awesome, mate. And uh, and I'm so into I'm so intrigued by the whole survivalism stuff. So if ever you wanted like a survival adventure in Australia, like I'm I'm your man. Uh, but <laughs> look, uh, the next question I have for you, there's something I'm really fascinated to find out about is that when you did the four hour body and you've got the list of sort of different people you spoke to, and and I noticed on that list one of them was black market drug dealers. What, what did you learn from the black market drug dealers? Well, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the in the book you talked about interviewing and talking to uh, black market drug dealers. This was uh, I actually got this off your wiki page. But uh, what, who did you interview and what did you find out about from them? Oh, this was this was for the Four Hour Body. For the Four Hour Body, yeah, yeah. These a, a lot of these guys are operating at the highest level 
of athletics, uh, in, uh, they, they tend to like to remain under the radar. So these are people who work with everyone from uh, people from Olympians to professional athletes and supply them with various tools, whether that's, uh, let's say, people uh, like the, the chemists or Victor Conti at what used to be known as Balco. I don't know if you guys uh, know that name, the Bay, the Bay Area Lab Cooperative, which was right here about 20 minutes away from where I'm sitting right now. And uh, they allegedly worked with Barry Bonds and many others to optimize their performance. Uh, so they have uh, designer drugs that they created themselves with, with you know, organic chemistry and, and uh, some, some wherewithal oftentimes borrowed from the Soviet Union. So these are the types of guys <laughs> that I spoke with. Uh, you often will find, I'm not sure they would call themselves uh, drug dealers, but they're certainly black market chemists, uh, <laughs> whom have who work with uh, regenerative medicine. Uh, so for instance, I've met uh, world champion sprinters, uh, or at least their doctors, who have taken athletes from complete, completely ruptured Achilles tendons to uh, silver and gold medals in the world championships uh, in a matter of eight weeks, which is incredible, uh, ab- absolutely uh, all, superhuman. I mean, and of course it is because it's it's chemically enhanced. <laughs> but uh, the type of people that I've I've spent a decent amount of time with, and uh, some of the best aren't even in the U.S. I mean, certainly they're they're all over the world. Some fantastic doctors in Toronto as well, who I think would fall into a similar category. Wow. It's uh, it blows my mind, and there's actually a whole lot of names that are running through my head there that have obviously been in the news recently that I'm sure may have been part of all that sort of thing. But I, I'm really interested in the um, in the creation of this uh, amazing body that uh, that you write about in the Four Hour Body, and obviously this is all comes out and in, in, in detail and how to do it in the Four Hour Chef. As a starting point, um, is there some place where people can start? Obviously, we. Get, it's important that they go get these books. It's really important they get these books. Um, but you know, in the meantime, between now when they download it, or what, what sort of things can they think about or start to put in place, Tim, to uh, at least get back on track? Uh, this is physically speaking. Yeah, physically speaking. I, I would say there are. Uh, I would say that uh, embracing a few. Functional movement patterns it will will solve the vast majority of problems. Uh, as an example, I think many people experience lower back pain, and the lower and the lower back pain, I think, is is oftentimes a product of sitting for prolonged periods of time. So their hip flexors will get tight, that pulls on the lumbar spine. They sit up, and they they have this anterior pelvic tilt, and it causes all sorts of problems. So very often they'll go and they'll get massage, they'll get uh, basic manual therapies, which are hugely valuable, but I don't think that that's always the first step or sufficient. I think that, uh, and I, I, I do tons of manual therapy, I have tons of manual therapy, I just had a, an hour and a half long session yesterday. However, I think that people should focus on <clears throat> even twice a week for 10 to 15 minute workouts, uh, embracing proper squats, for instance, I mean very much neglected. Uh, and that could be, could be body weight only. Uh, I like to use progressive resistance with weights, but uh, to, to use a personal example, I uh, experienced pretty excruciating IT band pain on the side of both my legs, or tightness at least, and extreme quad tightness, and then hip 
and lower back pain from having written this last book and having sat down for so long. And after three squat workouts, I was completely uh, was was completely cured, if you want to call it that, of almost all of the pains that I had in, in my in my legs and in my hips and in my back. Gone after three prop after three proper squat workouts. So the squat wow. would be the two-handed kettlebell swing, and you can certainly do that with dumbbells as well. And I have uh, a technical description of how to do that uh, on my blog, which is just a four-hour blog. Uh, .com with, with video demos as well. So the two-handed kettlebell swing, which can also be done with plates. So there's, there's something called the T-bar that you can build for about uh, $10 or less uh, U.S. that uh, you can certainly do in other countries because it's, it's uh, plumbing parts that you would use for that. Uh, thirdly, I would say the, uh, the Turkish getup, and that does require some technical instruction. There are a lot of videos online, but using light weights in the beginning and working on the functional movement known as the Turkish getup or TGU is a very effective way not only for diagnosing problems and left-right imbalances but also uh, correcting them. And uh, Michelle Wee, who is at one point known unfortunately as the most injured professional golfer in the world, uh, was completely rehabilitated with the kettlebell swing and uh, uh, Turkish get-ups with an incredible named uh, Gray Cook, who works with a lot of Super Bowl teams and, and uh, elite military as well. Uh, the, the, last, the last I would recommend <clears throat> is incorporating a twisting motion of some type, and that can be as simple as something called the chop and lift, which is also in the four-hour body and used by Gray Cook. Uh, this is typically using cables, very easy to uh, implement. You do it in a, in a, in a, in a lunge-type position, which is also, I think, a very important uh, position to be comfortable in. Uh, so here you have the squat, you have the two-handed kettlebell swing, Turkish getup, and the chop and lift. You could you could even split those into two workouts. So let's just say you had uh, Turkish getup and then the squat. Then you had the chop and lift and the uh, kettlebell swing. Those are the two workouts separately. If you did yep. that a week, uh, which would take ten min- literally 10 minutes each workout, I think you'd be ahead of 90% of the population in terms of both the sports performance, but more importantly, injury pre- uh, injury prevention. Those are that's, awesome. That's Lovely amazing. exercises. They're great. Yeah, those great tips. Tim, uh, I recently saw you on Creative Live when you, you know, you did a whole bunch of things. One of the things you did was uh, learning archery, you know, got the best archer and, and learning archery. And, um, and, you know, in your books, you, you do all these different things. And it, obviously, you have, you, you're trying to master almost different disciplines. Um, from a mental perspective, why do you think that is so important for us to kind of try new things and, and and just, you know, be better at all these little things and enjoy life for what it actually is and what it actually has to offer and instead of living, you know, the, the nine to five jobs, nine to, nine to five life that most of us do live? I, I think there are a number of ways to answer this question. The most important is, uh, I think, to have a sense of progress, a, a feeling of progress, however small or incremental it might be. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to diversify your identity. What I mean by that is, using San Francisco as an example, uh, this is right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And there are many people who devote 100% of their time and energies to, let's just say, a startup that they're a co-founder of or involved with. Mm. And that's not inherently bad, but when you have all of your identity and ego eggs in one basket like that, 
if anything goes wrong and there are many factors outside of your control, you lose your sense of self-worth or, or think less of yourself even though you may not have done anything wrong uh, or made any mistakes. And uh, to that end, it could just as easily be a 9-to-5 job. I think it's important to have at least one other physical activity and ideally uh, also a mental activity that allows you to see progress even if something goes wrong in one of those buckets. So, for instance, some of the best entrepreneurs I know in Silicon Valley will focus on learning a language but also, let's say, rock climbing or CrossFit or something else so that even if they have a problem at work, if they in- improve their deadlift or if they got hit their first 510 in climbing, let's say, or their first V2 in bouldering or whatever it is, that week or that day can be a good week or a good day, if that makes sense. And by maintaining that positive momentum, I think that people enjoy more success in all of those areas, but it comes from diversifying your identity by being more curious and having at least a few, uh, I think, projects going on at the same time. Yeah, I love that idea about momentum, Tim. Uh, you know, I've I've written a book called How to Eat an Elephant, and it's all about small steps and and how each of those steps just builds on the next. And, and it's really that psychology behind it. I think where people can feel like they've achieved something, they can feel successful, and it just makes it easier then, doesn't it, to make the next step? Yeah, absolutely. The and it's it's and you'll notice that that is not all too different from what we were talking about earlier related to losing two hundred, three hundred pounds, right? 100, 200 plus kilos. It's the, the, the mechanisms are the same, whether it's someone who wants to uh, focus on lifestyle design, lose 200 pounds, make an additional $100,000 per year, whatever the goal might be, the same mechanisms apply. And I talk about a number of them in, for instance, The 4-Hour Chef, like steaks, how to create incentives so that you actually follow whatever resolution you put before yourself. Uh, and that can be as easy as using a site like stick.com, S-T-I-C-K-K.com, where you, you put money into escrow, and then that money will go to a nonprofit that you would rather destroy than donate money to if you don't actually follow whatever it is that you've committed to, playing the guitar twice a week, uh, the gym once or twice or three times per week, and so forth, and they have refereeing built into it. Uh, and that can apply to almost any skill imaginable doesn't only have to apply to things that are physical although it certainly does yeah oh, i love that website because uh, when you i read that um from i think it's from four hour work week it was just a great way to really put yourself on the line and i just love that tim yeah just absolutely amazing information i know you got to go so um i really encourage all the readers uh right now to uh, all the fans right now to go pick up a book uh, for our body and for our chef as well. Uh, head over to Amazon. I think that's the best way. Let's get Tim on the bestsellers list for his four-hour for 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 uh, <laughs> four-hour chef uh, book, and uh, especially just get him out there. And because this stuff is absolutely amazing, I think it's really a great way to just live life. Um, you know, the old, gone are the days of the nine-to-five day, work days, and really moving into the new lifestyle. And Tim, your insights on health and wellness has been fantastic. And really, thank you very much for joining us on the Wellness Guy Show. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And people can also uh, get samples of all of the uh, the chapters in, for instance, uh, the Four Hour Body. If you go to fourhourbody.com, there's sample chapters. Four Hour Chef, there are also sample chapters. If you go to fourhourchef.com. And if they want to see, for instance, the first 63 pages or so of the book, uh, they can go 
to BitTorrent. If any, if anyone out there is using BitTorrent, I did a partnership with them. It's been downloaded more than uh, 1.4 million times now, which is I think 2.3 gigabytes oh. of extra extra oh, goodies, oh. bitcoins and whatnot. Oh, uh, but oh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun month because the four hour work week published in 2007 is back on the business bestseller list. The four hour chef and the four hour body are just at the very threshold of being on the bestseller list. So for the first time. In my entire career as a writer, potentially could have all three on the bestseller list at the same time, which would really be a lot of fun. And people can get a good idea of the content also by checking out the uh, the reviews on Amazon. There are more than a thousand reviews for all of my books on Amazon. Um, so hopefully, people will take a minute. And Tim, it's worth pointing out that you know that story we told earlier about about your guy who's lost all that amazing amount of weight. Like he was given that book by a friend, wasn't he? So you know, if you if you not just getting the book for yourself. Think about those people in your life who you love, who you'd love to do that for as well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, buy 10 of them, buy 10 or something. Yeah, especially the practitioners out there who's or listening 20. to us. Go get some books yeah. and uh, put it in the practice and, um, you know, you know, give away to your patients and stuff. So it's great. Tim, thank you so much for uh, – sorry, go on. No, I was going to say yeah, you can let you can let me have the hard conversation with them instead of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Excellent. I love it. Save us time. It's hacking our time. Fantastic. I love it. Great advice. Tim, thank you so much uh, all the way from San Francisco and uh, gr- guys I, you know, obviously, I hope that you're a big fan of Tim Ferriss as well. Uh, go to www.thewellnessguys.com. Leave your comments below. But more importantly, let's go on Facebook and uh, share the conversation there and tell us what you think about Tim. We, you know, when we announced that uh, Tim was going to be on our show, people were just coming out of the woodworks just saying how they love your stuff. And so, so love for you to, to pick up the book, uh, those all those books, and then uh, have a read and tell us what you think. And uh, we'll continue the conversation there. As always, make sure you subscribe to us on The Wellness Guys on the iTunes channel and join us on The wellness couch as well where we have brand new shows coming out every single week we think we've got about six or seven shows coming in this year and it's going to be a great way to spread wellness into your lives so until next week begin creating wellness into our lives lead by example and let's change the world's health together join us next week on the wellness guy show this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.